welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. I gotta apologize to y'all before we get going. I'm getting over a head cold. Kids, y'all can go in the back with Miss Whitney. Um, so I will cough during the sermon. Uh, it was really bad in the first service, so prayers that I miraculously healed in between. Uh, but we shall see. I will be down in water this whole time. Uh, let's say this prayer together, church. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word and your grace in your covenant and your goodness in your grace and your love in your goodness and yourself in your love and all in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good to be with y'all here today. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. For those of y'all who don't know me, it's our last week of our sermon series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where we talk about how we live in this hurry culture, a culture that tries to speed up the pace of our lives. And as we get back into the rhythm of school and schedules, getting more and more uh, rhythmic in our lives, getting out of summer, how do we not go into a hurried lifestyle? But instead, how do we adopt the practices of Jesus and adopt his pace of life and his practices? We've been looking at the practice of silence and solitude. Last week, we looked at the practice of Sabbath, and today we're talking about everyone's favorite topic, our attitudes towards our money, everyone's favorite. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to open it up, your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Matthew six nineteen. hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eyes are, full, are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do, they don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and then thrown into the fire... Will he not more clothe you? So do not worry. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things 
will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think Jesus has a really powerful word uh, to us specifically in our cultural context through this text, because I think we live in a society and we live in a culture that tells us a very different message about our attitudes towards our money and our attitudes towards our wealth, that the culture that we live in teaches and preaches that we should try to accumulate as much treasure as we possibly can on earth. And that if the more treasure we accumulate, the more things we get, the more wealth we have, the happier we will be. That happiness or satisfaction in this life is just one more purchase away. One more purchase away, then I'll finally be happy. One more thing, and then I'll be content in my life. And this whole ecosystem that we live in, with advertising just bombarding us every single day. It's about this message that we're just getting over and over again, that your life is not enough unless you buy my thing. It's just this message that we're just bombarded with over and over and over again. In fact, one of the kind of cultural pushes a lot of people are giving us is do as much... uh, passive income streams as much as possible, where you sort of set up this project or this business, and it just gives you money without really having to tinker with it or work with it. It's this idea of just accumulate more and more and more and more. Someone asked John Rockefeller, who uh, was one of the wealthiest men in American history, someone asked him, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I think that's this idea of this culture that we live in. Just a little bit more. And so what we do is we chase and we chase and we chase until we find ourselves working so hard to maintain this lifestyle that we've created. And in his book, John Mark Comer gives this example of a motorcycle. He said that uh, if you buy a motorcycle, for example, he said the cost of buying a motorcycle is so much more than the monthly payment that you may or may not be able to afford. He said it's also the maintenance on the motorcycle. It's the space that the motorcycle takes up. And not only is there's all those outside financial costs to owning a motorcycle, that there's also the time cost. That whenever we buy something new, that we need to spend time with it. And time is one of our most finite resources. And so what we do is we'll spend time for these things that we buy, but we have a limited number of time and we want to do all these other things as well. So we speed up or hurry the pace of our life to try to keep up. And suddenly these things that are meant to be pleasurable for us are just part and parcel with the hurry we find ourselves living in every day. And so in the midst of that, Jesus has a word for us in that culture that we live in. He says this in his gospel, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You cannot serve both God and money. The issue for Jesus and his teaching here that the way that we view our wealth and the way that we view our money is primarily about an issue of our hearts. It's primarily about an issue of our heart. Going back to the scripture, verses 19 through 21, 
Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I think Jesus is looking at our American consumeristic Kingwood culture and is asking us the same question that he asked these people 2,000 years ago, where is your treasure located? Where is your treasure located? Where is your heart located? Is it with the things of this world or is it in the kingdom of God and the eternal things that do not fade away, do not get destroyed? and are of infinite value compared to the stuff of this world? Is our heart with our money or with the kingdom of God? And the image of this day that Jesus is painting is they didn't have banks like we did, so they don't just go deposit their money. What they would do is they would have in their houses these storage jars where they would keep all their valuable stuff in these storage jars. And so what Jesus is saying is don't put all of your treasure in these storage jars because someone can just walk into your house and just take it and walk away, and suddenly you don't have treasure anymore. Jesus says, don't put all of your heart in these clay jars, but instead put your heart, put your treasure into the kingdom of God. Don't put your treasure in where people can steal it, take it, or have it be suddenly worthless. What would be a modern example of our physical jars that we have in our house? Maybe putting our treasure in the stock market, in our retirement account, in our paycheck, or are we putting our hope in the eternal things of God, such as investing more time into our kids' faith, evangelizing the good news of Jesus to our friends and family, using our money not just to accumulate more and more stuff, but to help the poor and the needy, as the scriptures say over and over again. What Jesus is saying here is that what your priorities are reveals your heart. What your priorities are reveals your heart. If your treasure is in wealth, then your priorities reflect that. Your priorities are shaped by that. Your actions are shaped by that. Nothing is better at revealing your heart, Jesus says, than what you do. That's what he's getting at here. And the language Jesus has to say to us about our relationship with money is very, very strong. And it's one of those things is Sometimes I'll write sermons and they'll make me uncomfortable because it's like, ooh, that's poking a little too close to home, Jesus. Uh, Not a fan of this. And there's always these passages in Scripture as we read, as we read our Bibles, where we come across something and it challenges us. It cuts to us deeply and we're like, ooh, don't like that. Moving on. Ignore that. Let's get past that. Um, And we always have that choice. When kind of scripture shines light into the darkness of our hearts and pushes us to deeper holiness and sanctification, are we going to fight it and ignore it? Or do we see that maybe the Lord is revealing something in us that he wants to change? And so I think this is one of those passages, especially to us in our culture, because Jesus says here in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus is saying this isn't some type of command. This is a statement of fact, a statement of impossibility. It is impossible for you to be devoted to God and devoted to wealth and money. And the word here Jesus uses, uh, serve, 
comes from that Greek word uh, slavery language, that you cannot be a slave to God and a slave to money. And our translations in English use uh, serve because we had very different notions of how slavery looked compared to biblical times. But the fundamental idea in this passage is it's an attitude of the heart that is entirely devoted, like a slave is entirely devoted to their master. That is the image that Jesus paints about our relationship with money and with wealth, that God doesn't want just part of us. He wants all of us. He wants all of our heart. He wants all of our devotion to be towards him, and that includes the way that we look at our wealth and our money. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, Jesus' teaching here in the Gospel of Matthew in 5 through 7, he, uh, he makes this explicit link between our discipleship and our attitude towards our wealth. That for Jesus, how we see and steward our wealth is an indicator of our discipleship, or put it another way, is an indicator of our holiness. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And these are hard words from the Lord. But even in the middle of this, I think there's a profound hope that Jesus is offering us when we do things his way rather than our way. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, in light of all this teaching about where you put your treasure, therefore, in light of you serving two masters, therefore, if you devote yourself entirely to the Lord like I'm saying to you, therefore, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body, that there's this explicit link between worrying about the things of this world and where our heart and our treasure are located. Jesus links not worrying about our needs, our true needs, such as food, clothing, and shelter, and setting our eyes on the Lord, putting our treasure in God and his kingdom Jesus makes this promise to us in this passage that if we seek his kingdom, in verse 32, pagans run after these things, but you are to be different. You are to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of your needs, all of your needs will be added unto you. Not all of your wants. You know, I want a boat, but I don't think the Lord's just going to give me a boat because I want one. Jesus promises us he'll give us all that we need in this life. If only we set our eyes on him and follow after him, that that's the hope of the promise that the Lord gives us if we do things his way rather than our way. I think I've mentioned this before, um, but in seminary there'd be multiple times, because Eric and I were on a very tight budget um, in seminary, and we'd be in need of money, like we'd have uh, our car breakdown because we had a terrible car. And uh, it would just randomly break down, and it'd be this expense that was outside of our very tight budget. And we were like, how are we going to pay for this? And then the seminary would send us a reimbursement check saying, hey, just kidding, you've been overpaying your rent for like 
a year. So here's an amount of sum in the money that's basically exactly what we needed to cover the expense to our car repair. Or we'd be low on money and we didn't know how we could afford groceries that week and we get um, someone would just bless us with $100, just out of the blue. Because there's this reality in Scripture that if we're pursuing after the Lord, that He will provide us what we need. He will give us what we need. That the Lord will be faithful to us as that song that we sang, that even though we are unfaithful, God will be faithful to us. And so as we pursue after the kingdom of God, as we pursue after Him, He will give us all that we need. So what does it look like then to not run after the treasures of this world, to not hurry our lives just so we can increase our wealth? What, is, what are some things that Scripture teaches us to live and to uh, model our lives after? The first is simplicity. Simplicity. Another way to put this, a uh, more modern way, is to probably say minimalism or contentment in the things that we have. It's, it's choosing not to uh, participate in this cultural pressure, to not participate in this lie that more stuff, more things will make our soul deeply and profoundly satisfied. It's to say, no, I am content with what I have right now. What this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you don't spend your money on anything that you enjoy. You don't overcorrect. Um, it's, but it's primarily because what Jesus is talking about here is where is your heart aligned with? What is your heart aligned with? Is your heart aligned with pursuing after wealth, pursuing after more, pursuing after all these things, or is your heart pursuing after the kingdom of God and the values of God and the kingdom values of our Lord? It's about living with less and being content with less and saying, I don't need to hurry my life because I'm content with the things that I have. In his book, John Mark Comer describes simplicity like this. Simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions towards what matters most. Putting that a different way, it's putting your treasure in eternal things, not worldly things, and letting your actions reflect that. John Wesley wrote a lot about money. He was uh, one of the wealthiest men in England. In fact, he was the wealthiest man in England who did not inherit wealth. So the richest, the richest self-made man, I guess you could say, in England at that time, because he wrote a lot and he sold a lot. And he had a ton of money, but John Wesley gave away, I think my professor said, 90% of what he earned to the poor. And so John Wesley really preaches on money because he sees the danger of it in his own life and he strives to live these kingdom values and he strives to model that if this is what Jesus teaches us about how we're to spend our money, how should my life reflect it as well? And he wrote this sermon uh, called The Use of Money that I do not like because it touches a little too close to home for me. And in it, he says, he gives rules for how Methodists ought to use their money. And I'm going to go through the four criteria that he uh, gives for us before we purchase something. You ready for it? We'll be uncomfortable together. Let's go. <laughs> Number one, is this in line with my character as a steward of God's money? Number two, am I doing this in obedience to the scripture? Number three, can I offer this expense as a sacrifice to God? Num rule number three is my least favorite. 
Number four, have I reason to believe that for this work I will get a reward at the resurrection? And John Wesley, to his credit, practiced what he preached. Um, Throughout his life, you know, Brits are really into drinking tea. I don't know if you know that. That's kind of their stereotype. They love their afternoon tea. And John Wesley, being a good Brit, loved afternoon tea as well. Uh, But he really wrestled with, is me drinking a cup of afternoon tea too luxurious of an expense for me to do? And could I better spend this money that I would spend on this cup of tea to give it to the poor? And he would actually, throughout his lifetime, go back and forth on whether or not he should drink tea or not. I mean, that's how seriously he took it. I would not do that. Um, To me, I think he overreacted a little bit, overcorrected a little bit, but I think his sentiment is worth considering because it's a reflection of the teaching of Jesus. Where are we putting our treasure in? Where are we putting our heart? What are we pursuing after? How do we view the wealth that God has given us? John Wesley in that sermon even says, pray about purchases if you're unsure if you should buy it or not. Have you ever prayed about a purchase before? You ever thought about praying about purchases before? I'll give you an example. Probably me, I should have prayed for a purchase before. Uh, when I got this job a couple years ago, I wanted a big boy TV. I was so excited. For eight years, I had had the TV I got my freshman year of high school for, or freshman year of college for 100 bucks, and it was fine, but I was ready to graduate to my nice TV now that I'm an adult with adult money and I was so ready for it. And we were good stewards, so we went to Best Buy on a sale. We were being good stewards with our money, and I fell in love with this beautiful TV that was a little bit outside of our budget. Erica may say it was more than a little bit outside of our budget, but that's a disagreement that we had. And so we're going, and so I talk her into like, yes, let's get this TV. This one will be incredible. Think of the movies. Think of how crisp and clear the picture will be on this TV if we get it. This will change our lives. (laughs) And so we go and get this TV, and the salesman says, oh, I'm so sorry. This TV is actually out of stock, but the model above it I'll basically give it to you for just a couple hundred bucks more, even though it should be 600 bucks more. And I was like, absolutely. Those are not the right numbers. Way more than that. The idea still stands. So it went from being a little bit outside of our budget to definitely outside of our budget. But I was like, you know what, Erica? They're basically giving this to us at cost. We would be foolish if we did not buy this TV right now. And so we did. We bought the TV. And I remember I went home, and I plugged it in. I got it all set up, and I turned on, I think it was The Mandalorian. I was like, this is is how God intended for us to watch The Mandalorian. And it it was fine. It was fine. It wasn't earth shattering. It wasn't game changing. My heart wasn't set ablaze for the love of God. My heart wasn't shattered. It was just fine. But now we had this TV that was outside of our budget that we had to pay for. And we felt the financial strain of that. That what would happen if my heart was more aligned to pursuing kingdom treasures rather than worldly treasures? 
would I have settled and been content for a cheaper TV? I think I would have. That's what the simple life is about. It's not about not getting a new TV. It's about not going and getting the TV that's out of your budget. So simple living, minimalism. Second thing that scripture teaches us the way to live is generosity. Extravagant generosity, one could say. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put the hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. Can I get an amen to that? Which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul, I think, is exegeting a bit what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. So how do we put our treasures in the kingdom of God rather than worldly things for those of us who are rich? Jesus, or Paul says here, to be generous with our money, to be giving of ourselves, to be giving of our money, to be willing to share. Let's say I had this famous phrase, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I think we're really good at the first two. I don't think we're as good at the third one. Because what it's fundamentally about, what the scripture is about, and what Jesus' message is about is how tightly are we holding on to our treasure? How tightly are we holding on to our wealth? That the Lord doesn't want us to have a closed fist with our finances. He wants us to have an open hand where we willingly give, willingly share, and are generous with what the Lord has blessed us with. That this is one of the practical ways that we live out putting our treasure in kingdom values is by being generous with our finances, open-handed stewardship, not closed-handed clinging to worldly treasures. Because God does bless us with money, but God desires for that money that he blesses us with to be a blessing for those around us as well, to bless the poor and the needy, as the scriptures say over and over again. You know, some of the times in seminary, uh, the checks that Eric and I got were from some church members who were back home who said, the Lord told me to write you a check for this. Now, what would it look like if we were people who were extravagantly generous to those around us? If we're generous with our money, it's an action where we can, where we can put the values of the kingdom at play. I want to invite the band back up as I close with this story. Um, in between college and seminary, I worked for Domino's as a delivery driver. Uh, it was so fun. I would highly recommend being a delivery driver. <clears throat> and I was doing it to save up money uh, for seminary, so that way I didn't have to work immediately when I got to seminary. I could just kind of ease into it and then get a job when I had figured out my schedule. And I remember there was this guy I worked with. I don't remember his name. But I'm going to call him Bill. And I remember I was talking with Bill, and he was a, an older man, probably in his late 60s, early 70s, living paycheck to paycheck. He had two jobs. He would work in the morning and then work in the evening uh, just to make ends meet. And I remember Bill and I were talking one day, and he tells me that his car broke down. 
and that it was going to be an expensive repair. And I don't know if you know this about being a delivery driver. If you don't have a car, uh, you can't really deliver pizzas. And so I was talking with Bill, and he was telling me the situation was going to be about a $2,000 repair. And I remember I was praying about it later that week, and I said, Lord, can you send someone to pay for Bill's car? And the Lord was like, absolutely, you do it. And I was like, Lord, send someone else, please. Uh, That is not what I was actually wanting to pray for, Lord. I was hoping someone else would come along, but the Lord was very firm. He said, no, you do it. And I was like, Lord, I don't think you understand. Uh, This money is for me to be able to eat when I'm at seminary. Uh, This money is so that I can live when I'm at seminary. Don't you know, Lord? Don't you know that I need this money? But the Lord was firm. And I don't know if you've ever had these moments where the Lord tells you to do something and you know that if you don't do it, you're actively stepping into disobedience. And so that was that moment for me. And so I remember it was this kind of moment as I was reflecting on it, is, is my money this closed, tight, fit, tight-fisted thing, or do I have an open hand to my finances? So I went to Bill, and I told him, and I said, hey, um, I would like to pay for your car to be repaired um, because the Lord told me to do it, and he does it because he cares for you. And he started tearing up, and I, I, I paid for it, and then I didn't really think much of it after that. And then what was interesting is the next week, Bill and I started talking a lot more than he had for the past two months I had been working there. He started opening up to me about spiritual things. He started talking to me about God, and he had never done that before. He grew up Catholic, and he told me that he started listening to Catholic radio on his delivery drives, and he hadn't done that for a while. You know, the, the Catholic little bumper stickers that had the Catholic radio on it, he slapped one of them on his car as well. And he told me that he was trying to go back to church as his schedule allows, and he had started to pray again, and he hadn't prayed in a while before. Because that's what the values of the kingdom of God does. When we're generous with worldly treasures, we have the opportunity to reap eternal things. We have the opportunity to use our wealth as an avenue to build up the kingdom of God in this dark world, to choose the unhurried life and be generous with what we have, and to see that we can bless the poor and the needy around us because that's what God wants us to do. To be generous, to live simply, is a solution to our, un- to our hurried life and to live out the values of the kingdom of Christ. An unhurried life, a life that holds our money with open hands and says, Lord, this is yours. Take it, use it for your glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As we do uh, transition to Holy Communion now, uh, on the screen there's going to be a response question that I would like for you all to be pondering as we do uh, communion together. It's answering, asking yourself this question, what are some ways that we or I can have a more open hand with our money for the kingdom of God. As we remember that Christ himself is the model of generosity, who lavishly gives of his own life and his own body. He took bread and he broke it, said, this is my body, which I give for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, 
gave thanks to you, said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Lord, you are a God who generously gives to us. Lord, help us model you and your heart and your kingdom. Lord, help us pursue after you that everything we earn in this world in comparison to what we gain in you is trash. So, Lord, pour your Holy Spirit out over us. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world as you pour out your Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice to make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world transformed by your blood. So, Lord, we say this prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.